Last Sunday when we were together, we were talking about a very, very powerful weapon, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that one? Come on. And uh, that was a good amen. All right. But the, the blood and the testimony go together. And we were in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. I want to start there. It says, uh, they have defeated him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony, by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. And so last week I was trying to help, help us because I shared with you when we were looking at the Passover, uh, when Moses told the people, speaking from the Lord, take a year old lamb, make sure it's without defect, slaughter the animal, capture the blood uh, in a basin, and then what were they instructed to do with that blood? They had to apply it. They took a hyssop branch, and I want you to notice this. Moses did not do a communion Passover service for the whole church. Moses taught the people what to do. That was my point of last week. Sometimes we do a collective communion service. There's nothing against that. I, but what I'm trying to say is every leader of a house, if you're a, a married couple in this room, your husband is the, the leader of your home, if, if you're single, you're the leader of your home, if you're a young person, you need to learn how to apply this, it, whatever situation that you're in. But I wanted you to see that it was the leader of that family that was responsible for preparing that lamb and for applying the blood to the doorpost. And I shared with you last week, if you don't apply the blood, it's as if the blood is of none effect. And so, I mean, you know, Jesus died for the sins of the world. But there are people all around us who either never have heard that or never have applied it personally. You can say, oh, yeah, I believe that. You believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, what does that mean? The devil believes in Jesus. What does that mean? What we're really saying is, have you personally, through faith, applied the blood and what Jesus did on the cross, applied that to yourself? Because if you don't do that, you'll never be born again, and you'll be eternally separated from God. I mean, this is serious. Like when the death angel went through the camp, he couldn't go, oh, wait. Honey, you know how forgetful I am. I forgot to apply the blood. Your firstborn is dead. Your firstborn of all the livestock, dead. Like there's no room to fudge when it comes to the blood. This is serious business. So we have to apply it, which is why I brought my lovely wife up here, and we just wanted to model for you so that when we have communion, we're not trying to be casual about it at times. I want to make sure all of you know what to do when we say we're going to celebrate communion together, maybe if it's in the flow of the worship uh, time, that you take that together. If I'm over here, I'll get together with my wife, and I'll put my arm around her, and we'll take that broken body and shed blood of Jesus, and I pray the blessing of the blood over our family. Well, what are the blessings of the blood of Jesus Christ? We talked about it last week. How many of you are grateful for access to God? Like right now, right now, I could say, Father, and enter into the most holy place, the presence of Almighty God, because of the blood of Jesus. This is awesome. How about forgiveness? Anybody grateful you're forgiven? Lord, forgive me. He does. He washes us clean. Yay. Well, what about the past junk? He's dealt with it on the cross. He nailed it to the cross. What about guilt? Took care of it. What about shame? Gone. In fact, one of the things he said that the blood does is it cleanses our conscience. Why do we need a clean conscience? Because the devil will accuse you nonstop. 
And I want to tell you this. Where does he mess with you most? In church. Anytime you try to identify with Jesus, the devil says, who do you think you are? And you say, you know, devil, you're right. I did do a lot of really dumb things in my past, but thank God it's all covered in the blood. So you know what? Shut your ugly face and get out of my life because I'm fixing to get my worship going right now. And I'm going to sing some songs that you probably don't want to hear because it's going to remind you of your future. Now listen, when you do that a few times, he'll shut up because he knows you're serious. But can I just tell you something? I can't help your conscience if you won't apply the blood. Pastor, I'm just so guilty. Why are you guilty? Well, I'm ashamed of some things. Okay. When did that happen? Was it was like two or three years ago or last week. It doesn't matter how long. Well, let's bring it to the Lord. Have you repented of that? Well, yeah. I went to the last encounter. I dealt with it all. I confessed it all. I, you know, it's out of my life. Then why are you failing to apply the blood to your conscience right now so that you can become the worshiper God's called you to be? And if you don't open your mouth, if you don't open your mouth and declare the truth that you know, in other words, that's the hyssop branch. If you don't pick up the branch and put it in, in the blood and you don't apply it to your house, then you get none of the benefits or blessings. How many of you know Jesus defeated Satan in every obstacle to your freedom on the cross? And then he rose from the grave to confirm that what just took place was the real deal and that he was God. And then he rose to the Father's right hand. And guess what? The Bible says he's seated there and he has all authority on earth at his disposal. And then there's us. And we come to church and we're struggling and we're dealing with this, we're dealing with that, and some of our problems are real. I'm not minimizing the problems, but I'm just saying you will continue to wrestle with the problem if you don't learn how to aggressively apply what Jesus did for you on the cross. And, and, and please hear me. I can't do it for you. I can preach it. I can encourage you. I can challenge you. I can model it for you. But you got to do it. This makes sense. So we talked about this. The blood has to be applied personally by faith. So let's talk a little bit about the power of, of proclaiming the word. Tremendous power is released when we simply proclaim or we simply declare the word of God. Every believer has both the privilege and the responsibility to proclaim God's word. I want you to look with me. This is Psalm 33, verse 8 and 9. We're talking here about the power of God's words. It says, let the whole world fear the Lord. Let everyone stand in awe of him. Now, can we just pause here? Because we're living in a culture that has jettisoned truth. Everybody's got their own, well, that's true for you, and that's great if that works for you. Stop it. Stop it. When God makes statements like that, he puts himself in an entirely different league. God doesn't say, let the whole world, or at least all those people that believe in Jesus, let those people who believe in Jesus stand in awe of him. God has the audacity to command the entire planet to worship him. 
which means God doesn't believe that there's personal private truth, only truth. And he's truth. Now, again, most of you that are 20-somethings, 30-somethings in this room, you've been raised in this culture where if you want to be a porcupine, you can be whatever you want. No, you can't. You're not a porcupine. You're not a lot of things just because that's how you feel. Well, God can't expect like people that are not Christians to stand in awe of him. He just did. He said, did you read this? Let the whole world fear the Lord. Let everyone. He's not talking about the followers of Islam. Yes, he is. He can't be talking about Hindu folk. Yes, he's talking about them. He can't be talking about atheists because they don't even believe in God. Yes, he's especially talking about them. God's saying something radical here, and it should shake us. When he demands the worship and the awe of the entire planet, we should pay attention. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. Can I tell you something else? I hate that stupid nonsense called evolution that we're teaching our young people. It is an absolute affront to a holy God. The Bible doesn't say when God spoke, he set in process this really messy, random, brainless process of chemical reactions that over billions of years of time resulted in this complex thing called the human eye. No, that is stupid. It says when he spoke, the world, the material world, began. It appeared at his command. God said it, boom, it happens. This is absolute authority and power. We, our, our classes at school when we're teaching biology should be mixed with worship. We should go, okay, hold on, guys. We just discovered a chemical reaction, which means there's a law, which means there's a lawgiver, which means there's a God. Let's get down right now and worship him in chemistry class because where did this happen? How did this happen? I'm trying to get you to say this. When God says something, there is authority behind what he says to perform what he just said. And so we got to get this in our hearts. When God says something, this is a whole book of God saying a whole bunch of somethings. Do you know how important it is to read this book? And some of you have contacted me and said, Pastor, I want to read through the Bible this year. Great! Hey, what, Pastor, give me a plan. What do I do? There's all kinds of amazing Bible reading plans. You can get them online. You can get a through-the-year through Bible. You can read from Genesis, Revelation in a year, and it's all laid out for you. You can buy these things. You should be reading. I'm not, I'm not mandating this. I'm encouraging you. You should be making it your goal to read through the Bible every single year of your life. That was weak. You should be making it your goal to read through the Bible every single day. Of your, of your life, for the rest of your life. Read through the Bible every year because it's the word of the Lord. Now take a look. This is the power of God's word, Isaiah chapter 55. A lot of you know this verse and quote this verse. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and it does not return there without watering the earth, making it bare and sprout and providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, God says in the same manner, my word, uh, so will 
my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void. That is useless or without results, without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the manner for which I sent it. Isn't this good? So when God says something, and let me just encourage you all. The most accurate form of what God is saying and the highest form of what God is saying is obviously the Word of God. Read the God, read the Word of God, meditate on the promises of God. But how many of you are also grateful for the Holy Spirit? And I, I see these memes sometimes. If you want to hear God's, God's voice, open up your Bible. Well, that's a half-truth. Because you can't even open up your Bible and get anything out of it if the Holy Spirit's not there to help you. He's the author of the Bible. So don't ever try to separate the scriptures from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps you understand the word of God, opens your eyes. But how many know the Holy Spirit can speak to you about your life? And he wants to speak to us about our lives. In fact, the Bible says those who are God's sons and daughters are those who hear God's voice and follow God's voice. So I'm saying that when you're spending time in prayer, you're spending time in fasting, you're, you're praying about something, many times the Holy Spirit will just drop something into your heart. What is it? Why did he do that? He wants you to grab a hold of that and pray that. I told you guys that $250 million story, right? You guys know that story. If you haven't, I'm not going to tell you the whole story now. But, but it was such a strange set of circumstances that were around that story that I felt like the Lord started saying, I want you to tell people that story. We just had our bankers in from uh, Oklahoma. And they came, and they love what God's doing here, and we love partnering with them. And we got to the end, and I said, hey, did I tell you guys my $250 million story? And they were like, no. I told them this very strange set of circumstances because I've noticed this many times. Strange coincidences are synonymous with Holy Spirit activity. If, it, if there's no way in the world you could put those two things together in the time and all that, then get your eyes open because God's trying to show you something and do something. And so I'm just telling you, I told these bankers, I said, if, if a guy walks up to you with a blank check or written off for $250 million, but he doesn't know who to give it to, say, I know who that's for. It's for Ron Johnson. He told us the story. Take it to him at Crown Point. Now, again, this is not for Ron Johnson personally. This is for what the Lord wants to do with $250 million. I mean, I'm just a servant just like you. What do you want to do with that? That would be the next question. Lord, where do we go next? But here's my point. I just prophesied that story to you again. You know why I keep talking about it? Because I'm looking for it. And I'm believing God for it. And I would ask you this. What are you prophesying and looking for? Right there, that's a good question. What are you prophesying and looking for? Let's, let's some of you might be saying, Pastor, okay, what's going on here? Let, let, me, let, me, let me flesh out the meaning here. The word proclaim is a really strong word. It actually comes from a Latin word that means to shout forth. We just got done worshiping. And, uh, and I've heard people say, well, you know, the Living Stones Church, it's like, you know, kind of like a circus there in worship. I mean, the, the people are actually, man, they're singing loud, and they got a guitar and drummer, and, it's on, and they're actually having fun at church. How irreverent is that? Do you know that when we get done worshiping, the band starts winding down, and you're all like, woo! 
Jesus, whoa, whatever it is we were singing about, that's called proclaiming. Now, you can do that with pure emotion and no brain and no heart, and it would be religion. But how many you know you can do it with a heart on fire for Jesus and a head that's singing truth? And I would just tell you this. It's the natural response. That's called being normal. You, you proclaim things with a loud shout that you actually believe in your heart and that matters. Now, I had a funny story the Lord reminded me of. My wife let out a shriek when we were first married. She was proclaiming in the other room. I don't know what she was proclaiming. It was inaudible, but it was a shriek, so I knew it was important. I got up on my horse. I rode in like the mighty, you know. I'm going to rescue her is what I'm trying to say. I ride in there, and she is freaking out. On the wall is a spider. In her mind, it's the spider from, like, Lord of the Rings, you know. But in reality, it's a tiny little spider. And she's like, oh, honey, please kill it, please kill it. And I fast-forwarded that, mo that moment right there to 50 years of marriage. And I kept thinking, do I want shrieks coming out of my house over little teeny spiders for the next 50 years of our marriage? No, I don't want that to happen. Do I want my wife, who is an incredibly godly woman, to be living on the, under the fear and dominion of a spider for the rest of her life? No, she's better than that. So she says, honey, kill it, honey, kill it. I said, you kill it. She got mad at me for just a little bit. I said, look at how fearful you are. And that spider is scared to death of you. But you would think you're scared to death of that spider. I said, take dominion over that spider and kill it. I will stand here in case anything crazy happens, and I will support you. But you kill the spider. Now, again... That was a fear she needed to take dominion over. How do you know you should not be living in fear of spiders for the rest of your life? Now, I'm not talking about they put you in a pit and you're covered in tarantulas. All right, I'll give you some grace right there. I'm talking about a little house spider that you need to be able to go, preferably barehanded if you want, just to show it, just to show it. All right, we'll let you use a Kleenex. We'll let you use a Kleenex. My point is this. We proclaim things because they matter. We proclaim things with a loud shout because it matters. You know, the Bible says this in the Psalms. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Do you realize when we're singing about the greatness of Jesus and we get to the end and there's some shouting going on and some cheering going on and people clapping, that we are shouting unto God with a voice of triumph. I shared with you last week, it does not do you any good just to believe in your heart without confessing with your mouth. You know, when I first laid eyes on her, I'm like, man, I would like to get to know her better. In fact, I would like to marry that woman right there. If I only kept that in my heart, we would to this moment not be married. Because I had some point I had to say, hey, would you like to go out on a date with me? And she said, yeah. 
And then it started. But I had to open my mouth. I had to confess with my mouth. We stood at an altar here, and I shared my vows with her, and I pledged my life to her, and she pledged her life to me. And we both said, I do. Can you imagine if the pastor's standing up here? Eli, do you take Netta to be your lawfully wedded wife? And Eli's just going. I'm like, Eli, this is your chance. Seal the deal. Netta, do you take Eli to be your husband? And then we just stand there in time, frozen, waiting for a wedding to happen. Because unless it is applied through belief and confession, there's no wedding. You see how this works? Your mouth is important. So, guys, I'm not picking on you. I didn't look at any of you during worship today. But here's what I'm trying to cure. I'm trying to cure that. And again, I'm just trying to pastor you. I'm not trying to beat you up. Because I'm just trying to tell you, this will not do anything for you. has to be an awakening. You have to personally apply what you're learning. You have to open your mouth. I told my wife today, I keep com complimenting how the Lord is healing my singing. It's amazing. <laughs> she just keeps laughing. She says, I think the Lord really loves to listen to you sing because it's not based on my technical ability, which is zero, but I got a lot of passion. And whatever I miss in technical skill, I can make up for with passion. Amen? So, guys, I told you last week, shut your eyes. You're all alone. No one's in this building. You're all alone. You can sing your little heart out. No one's going to hear you because you're all alone in your secret place with God. As soon as you do this... I'm surrounded by people. They might listen to me sing. What's my wife going to think? The people behind me, who cares? You have, an, you have an audience of one. And listen, I heard people say this week, I heard wives saying how powerful it was when their husband took the lead, put his arm around his wife. They took communion together, and he spoke a priestly prayer of blessing over his wife. Lord, bless my wife. Bless our children, Lord God. Thank you for your favor upon us. Lord, we want to love you. We want to live for you. Ignite fiery passion in our hearts for you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for access to you. Thank you, Lord, for a clean conscience so I could be a worshiper. What are you doing? You're just you're applying the blessing of the covenant. Lord, my wife's not feeling well. Devil, in the name of Jesus, get your hands off my family, off my kids. Uh, my seed belongs to you, Lord. I pray blessing over every one of them, the ones that are struggling right now. God, intervene. Lord, save. Lord, heal. Lord, deliver. What are you doing? You're being the priest of your home. And you're, when you do that, your wife feels loved and protected and provided for and covered. And she finds your spiritual leadership really sexy. That was extra. It's nowhere in the Bible like that. 
um, but I believe it with all my heart. All right. So let, let me quickly go on here. What you could be saying is this. You know, every time there's an important truth like proclamation, confession, uh, people can fall off the principle to the right or to the left in error, right? Like major truths, the devil's, the devil's really dumb. He doesn't come up with any new thoughts. He just twists and perverts everything. So how does confession and proclamation get twisted? Well, I'll tell you. We can fall off this way by never opening our mouth and never saying anything. Dads, how many of you know it's important to tell your children every day, multiple times a day, I love you and you bring me joy? I'm looking at a lot of faces that that was not part of your upbringing. And it's painful. In other words, our words are powerful. The Bible says the word Jesus became flesh. We literally create with the power of our words. We enflesh our children with our words or a lack of words. There's some people in this room who are like, man, I just wish I could have heard my father say I love you one time, let alone every night. That's the power of not using your mouth for righteousness. In other words, you just didn't say what you needed to say. Or sometimes we just not only don't use our mouth, but we use our mouth for wicked purposes. Have we ever spoken evil words against people or called people names or said people were stupid or said you're never going to amount to anything? We have all kinds of curse words that we use on people, not to mention profanity. So that's one extreme. Look what the Bible says. Matthew 12, verse 36. But I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will have to give an accounting for every careless and useless word they speak. Now, I don't know about you, but the last two services, we just paused right here and we just repented. Is that okay with you guys? Because here's the deal. When you stand before God, all he's going to need to judge you, if you're not in Christ, is your own mouth. He'll just say, well, did you say this? Uh, I guess I did. Well, did you say this? Hmm. How about this, 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 this? There goes the rap sheet. And how many of you know, based upon what we said, we're guilty. And we know we're guilty. So, Lord, forgive us for every careless, wasted word, every word that hurts people, every word that prophesies gloom and death and despair and murmuring and gossip and jealousy and every work that comes right out of the devil's mouth and the devil's heart. Lord, for all the things that we, we say that we just shouldn't say because it's not edifying. Lord, forgive us. Jesus, we just apply your blood right now to our mouths. Lord, turn us around. And let our mouth become a spring of life and not a perverted, wicked, polluted well. So, Lord, forgive us and help us to live a different life and help us to create with our own words life, life-giving words everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's one extreme. Let me tell you the other extreme. How many of you have heard this? Well, was Living Stones one of those name it and name it and claim it churches? Well, Pastor, what's that? Well, you just find a verse and you name it and you claim it and then you get it and you just keep on doing that. And some of you have been raised in churches where you find a verse on whatever topic you need and you just say it over and over and over again. It's like Here's the picture. It's like pulling a slot machine. Oh, one lemon, two lemons. Ah, a cherry. Didn't work. 
claim the verse again. Oh, didn't work. And then while you're doing it, you're saying things like this. God, you have to perform your word because you never lie. And this is what your word says. And you must do this. And, and you actually create a scenario where you're trying to convince God to take care of you, his kid. And he's the adversary. You're like twisting his arm to get him to perform. How I many of you know, we don't have to treat God like that. And we never have to argue with God about performing his word. He's a, he's a God of perfect integrity. And then the other perversion comes in. The things that we were so earnestly praying about were, was really kind of a glorified materialism in the church. Now, again, I'm not against The Lord even says, give us this day our daily bread. We're, we can pray for provision. Amen. You don't have to feel guilty about that. But when you're praying for bigger and better and fancier and this, and you're using Bible verses and God's the slot machine, that's a perversion. But how many know in the middle here, there's still a powerful principle called proclamation and confession. And so what's the balance? Let me, let me give you an example here, again, of why this name it, claim it type approach is not biblical. Look at Isaiah 29, 13. God said, because this nation, talking about Israel, because this nation approaches me only with their words and honors me only with their lip service, but they remove their hearts from me and their reverence for me is a tradition that is learned by rote without any regard for its meaning. Can you see what happens here? When you're just claiming Bible verses that apply to whatever you need, but your heart is far from God, I mean, you know, there's a problem. That's why you always got to fight for your heart first. Because when your heart is alive and full and passionate for Jesus, and then you're reading his word, and the Holy Spirit's making the word come alive, and then you're praying and proclaiming the word of God over your situation, now your heart and your mouth are in sync. But I remember doing a funeral one time, and it was from a church tradition that was not my church tradition. And, uh, and I went up to the funeral director, and I said, I don't know what to do. This is not how we do funerals. And so he went up there, and he said, no problem, I'll take care of it. And there was a crowd, you know, maybe half the size, and they began quoting the Lord's Prayer. And they quoted it again, and they quoted it again, and they quoted it again like ten times. And then they quoted some other things over and over and over again, but it was very much repetitious. And I'm standing there watching everybody, because how many of you know, you and I can quote the Lord's Prayer by memory and not even be thinking about what we're saying. Now, I'm not saying everybody who does that, that that's the way, but I'm saying you can say things, some things, whether it's a creed or something you learn in a religious setting. Notice you can say it uh, because it was a tradition that you learned by rote. In other words, you don't even have to think about it anymore. It's so deeply ingrained in you. How I many of you know God does not want us to worship him that way? You know, you see people can stand up and they open a certain hymn book and they sing that song. They know all four verses because they've sung it since they were this big. But there's not one iota of passion in their heart for God. And I've heard, again, religious folks, well, all that stuff you guys do with all the worship and band and music and stage and all that, that's not the important part of the service. The important part of the service is the preaching of the word of God. From whose perspective? Together to worship Jesus. 
I got this silly feeling. He's looking around for hearts who are fully devoted to him. And when some person is lost in worship, singing from the bottom of their heart, or quietly just standing in the Lord's presence, maybe tears coming down your face, maybe you're just worshiping because you're worshiping in faith. You've had a rough week, but you're just declaring the truth about who God is. I have this feeling that the favorite part of the service from the Lord's perspective is when we're actually singing to him and expressing our love to him. I promise you he's not sticking around because he's like, man, I love to hear Ron Johnson preach. I learn something new every week. (laughs) No. The preaching parts for us guys, it's not for him. The worship parts also for us guys, but the focus is him personally. And have you found this to be true, guys? Come on, I'm trying to help us out. When your heart's full of gratitude for Jesus and you open your mouth, you can even lip sync. I remember when my daughter was learning how to lead worship, I used to say, man, you would really sing good if you actually moved your lips. (laughs) Only because she was so scared. (laughs) She'd be up there at the keyboard and she'd be like, like fish lips. So even if you start off with fish lips, it's the beginning. Just do this. You might not want to be radical. Like, Just start like this. Just be like a T-Rex worshiper. And more, <laughs> hey, I didn't share this at any other service. It's, I'm in the overflow mode right now. I am having fun, so just bear with me. So you move from T-Rex fish lips. And then when you really forget that there's anybody here, because you maybe even put, put a blindfold over your eyes. I don't care what it takes, but just engage with the Lord. I'm telling you, for somebody, somebody needs to hear this. The more free you can get in expressing your love out loud so your own ears can hear it. I'm telling you, you'll sense the anointing of God come over your life. There, there are men in this room that God's going to wreck you in 2024. You're going to get wrecked in 2024. You're going to sense the anointing and presence of God, and you're going to be like, oh, no, I'm losing it. I'm starting to cry. What is on my cheek? What is that on my cheek? Because the Lord's going to really go after your heart, and it's going to be great. Trust me. All right. So what is God after? Here's the balance. Look at Isaiah 66, 22, and then I'm going to tell you a story. Isaiah 66, I'm sorry, verse 2. But to this one I will look, this is God speaking, I will look graciously upon to him who is humble and contrite in spirit and who reverently trembles at my word and honors my commands. This is so good. What is God wanting in our confession and in our profession? He's wanting our hearts and our mouths to be in alignment. He's wanting us to tremble at his word and to treasure his word. You understand the difference? There's some of you who have been raised in religion, and you've, you know, you've been taught the fear of God and hellfire and brimstone and all that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a reverence in God to where you realize the power of the word of God. And to where your heart is alive and you love the Lord and you're surrendered to the Lord. And here's what I want you to see. 
when your heart is surrendered and your mouth and your head come in agreement and you confess, which simply means to say it as God said it, to repeat after God. When you confess, it releases the full authority of heaven behind what you just said. Okay. I can't heal anybody, save anybody, or deliver anybody. How about you? By yourself. But when someone comes up for prayer, my focus is not on their problem. My focus is on the greatness of Jesus and what he did on the cross to minister to any problem that is in this room. So, Pastor, you know, I mean, I've never prayed for people. At the, what am I going to say? You don't have to make anything up. Just repeat Jesus. Because that's where your authority is. You're not the expert here. Oh, you know what? Let me, hmm. No, don't do that. Just go, Dad, what do you want to do? Dad, what do you want to say? Dad, what does your word say? And your authority lies in, in your words and your heart lining up with what God's heart is at that moment. So that when you say, hey, God wants to save you right now. He does? Absolutely. Pastor, how do you know that? Because Jesus died on the cross to save sinners, like this person and all of us. Well, how do you know it's their time? Because they're here right now. Well, how do you know that he was really going to do it? Because that's what Jesus died on the cross for, was to supernaturally convert sinners and change them into God-loving people. So you're like, who's next? Not because of me. In fact, I've, I've heard this true. Oh, what's, what's everybody's greatest fear, right? Public speaking. You know why it's most people's greatest fear? Because this is what they, they think. What am I going to say? How is it going to come across? Will I look stupid? Oh, my gosh. The whole focus of every one of those questions is you. So here, here, here's how you prepare sermons. Holy Spirit, what do all these amazing people need? How can I serve them? What could I say that would help them? How could I say it in a way that would encourage them? How can I connect with their hearts so that they didn't waste an hour here on Sunday morning coming in, going out? Lord, what do you want to say to them? How can I bless Isaiah Polanka this morning? Lord, what does he need to hear? Do you understand that when you get your focus off of you and your focus is simply on delivering the message, the fear goes and then you're able to BT Rex man, or whatever it is that you feel like doing. I'm still having fun, in case you guys haven't noticed. All right, I'm going to end. I'm going to end with a story. We got, give me five minutes. How many? All right, I'll take it. I'll take it. Do I have 15? All right, just kidding. How many you know? All right, we're on a roll. All right, if, if you get done before I do, feel free to leave, all right? One of the greatest overcomers in all the Old Testament is a little shepherd boy named David. Don't you love the story? 1 Samuel chapter 17. I don't have time to get into all of it. But for 40 days and 40 nights, the same routine happens. Everybody, they all run out to their places. And then the Goliath champion comes out, and here's what he does. He insults the army of Israel every day and every night. And here's what I want you to see. He's prophesying. He's prophesying under the spirit of his demon God. 
He's over nine feet tall, which makes the tallest NBA player a point guard now because they're two feet shorter. He's built like LeBron James, only nine feet tall. He's not some clunky guy that can't move. He is a skilled warrior that is elite, and he's been training for war since he was a kid. David has been out on the back 40 hanging out with sheep by himself and writing psalms and singing to the Lord. Oh, and killing anything that tried to mess with his flock, his dad's flock, right? David shows up, and I want you to see this. David does not focus on Goliath. In fact, I just say this. Some theologians have said Goliath is the most described human in all of Scripture. It says how tall he is. It talks about his armor. It talks about how much it weighs. He's the most described demonic, you know, picture of the enemy, all right, in a bod in all of Scripture. And David spends almost zero time talking about how big this guy is. In fact, you all know the story. When, when Goliath comes out and goes, who wants to fight me, you bunch of chickens? They all run the opposite direction, and they're freaking out. And so there's only two passages. I'm going to read them. One is, is verse 26. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway? that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God. Do you notice how God focused even his description of Goliath is? He's like, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? To talk about our God that way? Look at verse 36. This is where he's talking to King Saul. He says, hey, Saul, don't worry about me. I've done this to both lions and bears. Killed them. And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Two times David refers to Goliath. Hear this. Nine times he refers to the greatness of God. I'm going to read just one passage. I'm going to first of all give you the woke evangelical prayer from an emasculated, toxic male that doesn't know who he is and wants to be a porcupine. Am I right? That wasn't in the notes either, but we're going to have some fun. Um, Lord, uh, you know, the battle before us is great, and um, that guy out there is really, really big, and I am really, really small. And frankly, I'm super-duper scared right now. I'd like to go out and just give him a hug and, and maybe invite him over for coffee. Um, maybe we could have a fellowship time at our church. And, um, and maybe even, you know, he would leave the Philistine champion role and kind of come over and maybe be on your team. But I don't know. I, Lord, whatever you will, you know, you just do it. And I just humbly submit right now to your purposes. Hey, if I get squashed out there, then, hey, it, whatever you want, Lord, I just... I just trust you with the outcome. Amen. All right? That part was not a joke. That was about as realistic as I could possibly get the prayer. Now, I'm just going to show you the striking difference in how far we've fallen as a church. Now, every guy in this room should have testosterone shooting through your veins, and you should be excited about what it means to be a man. 
Um, and every woman should go, wow, that's what a man looks like? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's what they're supposed to look like. So take a look. I'm reading from the Bible. This is uh, verse 45 following. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord is going to conquer you, and I will kill you. This sounds like Liam Neeson. I will find you, and I will kill you. Oh, and it gets better. And I will cut your head off. A five-foot-tall teenager looking at a nine-foot-tall warrior, and he says, who do you think you are to defy the armies of the living God? God's going to destroy you, and I'm going to cut your head off. Is that God's will? How does he, how does he pray that way? How does he know God's going to win? How does he know he's going to cut his head off and kill him? Oh, and it gets worse. He's still trash talking here. And then I will give the dead bodies of all your soldiers that we're going to kill, by the way. And the birds of the air and the wild animals are going to eat them. And then the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. Obviously, for those watching, they're not watching. It's third service. But if you were, all of you for those watching, we're not talking about killing people. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. But, but here's my question. How many of you in prayer said to Goliath, which is a demonic spirit, you know what? I can't believe you're trying to resist the armies of the living God. I can't believe you think you're going to win. God is going to take you down. That stronghold is coming down. And I am going to cut your ugly head off. That spirit of addiction has been a part of our family line. We lop you off in the name of Jesus. We cut your head off in the name of Jesus. That spirit of lust and perversion has been in our family. We're sick of it. We're tired of what you're doing in our family. We will cut your head off. You know what? I'm sick and tired of you messing with my children. That is God's seat. You know, we do this thing up here. We do this thing called dedicating our children to the Lord. I just want you all to know, I'm really not that ceremonial. There are people who do ceremonies better than me. But you don't want a ceremony. You want a fight. You want a declaration. You want somebody gathering around you. But dad and mom, you're the ones saying, you know what? God, you know the work, all you moms out there. You know the work it took to bring this kid into the world. Come on. I didn't go through all of that for nothing. This child we're dedicating to the Lord. And so 
when you dedicate those children to the Lord and then the enemy tries to resist the call of God on their lives, you're not like, oh, my gosh, my kids, kids in these days, oh, my. Those are idle words. Shut up. Quit prophesying with the devil. Start agreeing with what God says about your kids. And fight for your kids. Fight for every one of them. Listen to me. Every, thank you, Lord. Every one of my children has a redemptive purpose. Every one of my kids has been gifted by God. And when the devil starts messing with them, I say, oh, you don't know, devil. God had a purpose. When that kid was in his mother's womb, God had a purpose for him. You're not stopping him. You're not cutting him short. You're not taking his life. In the name of Jesus, we're going to kill you right now. Get, get out of his life. And then you start prophesying, oh, you haven't even seen what God's going to do. I know he's struggling right now. I know he's making some dumb decisions right now. But you haven't even seen what God's fixing to do in that kid right there. Oh, that kid's going to give you a whooping like you don't even know. Come on. I am not trying to be cute. I'm being as real as I can be. You've got to learn how to fight. Get your heart in alignment with God. And then you start declaring and confessing with your mouth the truth of God's word, the promises of God, which is why some of you this year, you say, you know, Pastor, I want to read through the Bible this year. Yes, every one of us should make it our goal to read through the Bible every year. There are Bible reading plans. Get one online. There are through the Bible in a year Bibles. Get one and read it. Why is this so important? Because it's a weapon. You cannot confess what you don't know. By the way, what we're fighting in our nation right now, the depth of the perversion and corruption, if we try to fight this by simply trying to win elections alone, it's not going to work. We need to go after the redemptive and prophetic purpose behind this nation. When God started this nation, for the purpose that he started this nation, we need to go back and reclaim what God has put in the heart and DNA of this country, and we need to fight for the soul of America. And we do that through prayer and proclamation, which is what we're going to do in the first 21 days of this year. We're going to declare, and, and hey, I, I got this too. I want to hear, what is God putting in your heart for this ministry? What are the things you're prophesying over your family? Remember, Moses' prayer was that all God's people would be prophets. What does that mean? That we would speak the word of the Lord. There's power in the spoken word of the Lord. God spoke and things were created. There's authority in the word of God. When you can say, in the name of Jesus, stop. In the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, let this stronghold come down. And this, listen, this is where proclamation matters because it is the loud shout. Not the shout because you're trying to be religious, but the shout out of a heart that is deeply invested and committed to seeing this thing happen. You think Elijah came out there and said, hey, guys, anybody want to fight me? No, he, his voice thundered. That's why I just picture David. Who are you to defy the armies 
of the living God. Are you nuts? Is there no fear of God in you? Evidently not. Therefore, you're coming down. Therefore, I will kill you. Therefore, I will cut your head off. Oh, yeah, and the birds. Hey, birds, come on. You're going to be a feast here in just a second. Just fixing to happen. So here's my point. Going into this year, anybody want to fight? Anybody want to use the weapons we've been given? Anybody want to reclaim some lost years? Some of y'all got some lost years. David. Some lost years. It's time to reclaim. Some of you need to go, you know what? Man, my 20s, what a disaster. What devil? You stole a decade from me in my 20s. You know what? I'm going to make you pay really hard in my 50s because I, I want repayment. I want repayment for everything you stole from me. I want seven times what you stole from me in my 20s. I want it all back. I want it paid in full. And you just make, you make a declaration, you're going to become the devil's worst nightmare, all right? In Jesus' name. Stand to your feet. I won't pray for you. Hallelujah. Lord, thank you for the truth of proclamation, the word of our testimony, applying the full benefits of the cross to our lives. Now, Lord, open up our mouths. I pray that those with spiritual laryngitis be healed in the name of Jesus. Some of you need to go home in the quietness of your home. You know, there's times I come down to church, and it's, it's at nighttime, and no one's in this whole building. And I'll just walk the sanctuary, and I just talk out loud, and I just pray out loud, and I walk the stage, and I put my hands on the walls. I walk in between the chairs. I just go for it because it's just me and the Lord. That's where you learn to practice. If you're learning a guitar, you don't jump up on the stage and play before thousands. You go in some closet somewhere, and you learn how to pick a few chords. This is how you learn. Some of you, I'm encouraging you, get your spiritual voice back your worshiping voice, your prayer voice, your, your declaration voice, your repenting voice, your heart cry voice to the Lord. Holy Spirit, I just pray, move in this place. Move in our men. I pray, Lord, rock the men of this house this year. Ladies too, kids too, but Lord, especially the, the, the men of their homes, Lord, touch them this year. Let there be an amazing breakthrough. Thank you for the power of your word today. And, Lord, we just declare, if you're here and you need freedom, come forward. Jesus wants to set you free. If you're here and you need salvation, come forward. We want to apply the blessings of the cross to your life. If you need healing in your body, you need deliverance in some way from whatever's tormenting you, there are wonderful smiling faces ready to simply stand in agreement with what God has already said. So, Lord, thank you. Bless us today. Use us this week. May it spill over our lives into the lives of other people. We love you. We honor you. We just enjoy you from the bottom of our hearts, Lord. In your mighty name we pray and everybody said amen, amen. Hey, love you all. Have an incredible week. If you need prayer, come on down.